Before Grayscale annihilated the SEC in court, Bloomberg analysts were pricing the chances of a Bitcoin spot ETF approval by the end of 2023 at 65%. That has now risen to 75% based on Grayscale defeating the SEC. And that's just for 2023. If we start talking about 2024, those same analysts are pricing the odds of a Bitcoin spot ETF approval at 95%. I'm curious what that 5% would be uh, to make it not happen. But as usual, when we have people making amazing predictions, we just bring them on the show so they can tell you about it instead of me. I've got Eric Balchunas and James Safer, both from Bloomberg, both the leading ETF experts. I will say on this planet, they can debate it. You guys can debate it. But to me, they're, they're the best in the entire game. The guys I go to when we want to talk about ETFs. And of course, I've got Dan from Chart Guys on the back half to talk about what it actually means for markets and to look at some charts. This is going to be an amazing show, guys. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit the like button right down below. Now, I know we are all very tired of talking about things in the United States that have three letters like, I don't know, Fed, SEC, you know, the ones we don't like. But there's one thing that we can't seem to get enough of, and that is ETF. And we've seen this through many cycles, but obviously, rarely we can say this time is different. It's funny, the Winklevi twins, Cameron and Tyler, they first applied for a Bitcoin spot ETF 10 years ago, literally 10 years ago. That was before I was in crypto, which was in 2016. In 2014, they first applied for it, and it has been a narrative of every single cycle. But that has changed a lot, especially with BlackRock entering the fray and seeing in the last cycle the approval of a BlackRock uh, not BlackRock, of a Bitcoin futures ETF. I'm going to go ahead and bring on Eric and James right now. We're going to talk about what this means and why this time is, in fact, different. The ETF uh, all-stars here. Did you guys ever think you could become rock stars by being experts in ETFs? Because that's what's happened on Twitter. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. But you're like the hottest ticket in town now is, is Eric and James. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, first of all, I, when I started, when I came into contact with the ETF, it was about 2006, and I had covered mutual funds. And I just thought this thing was amazing. Um, it was like five evolutionary steps beyond the, the mutual fund. So I kind of latched my whole career onto it. I said, you know, this is back when ETFs had about, you know, 500 billion. Today, they have 7.3 trillion. Um, and I just felt it was a wave that was going to break. I'm sure it's something like the way people who got into crypto early felt. You just felt like this is going to be big. Um, so I've enjoyed it, and I feel like when it comes to crypto <clears throat> and the way we're handicapping races, it, it started in 2021 when we handicapped the Bitcoin futures ETF race, and we got it right. I think the metaphor I use is um, we're we're kind of like Nate Silver in 2012 when he was the I guess the most optimistic that Obama was going to be reelected because I guess Democrat. Yeah, you know, voters were nervous that Romney was going to win. And he was like, no, Obama's got a pretty, a pretty good chance. I feel like we're kind of in the same group. We're speaking to an audience that's really hoping this happens. Um, we think this should have happened a long time ago, um, but we, we're not, we're putting our brain and our calculus into that number. That's why we still have a 25% chance that it won't happen this year. We just want to be right. I mean, that's our main goal. 
but certainly I think that uh, we're happy to be sort of a interpreter to the crypto community as to what ETFs are, why they're important, who uses them, and, and why this matters a lot. Yeah, I mean, I made a joke even on Twitter today. I said, I'm not a macroeconomist, but I play one on Twitter. And I feel like you are talking to a bunch of kindergartners and trying to explain to them complex topics. And now everybody, it must be very frustrating for you. We're all ETF experts now, right, James? I mean, literally everybody knows everything about, well, we're all experts in everything, right? We're experts yeah. spy, spy balloons and viruses and uh, all, all of it. Yeah, I get I get a lot of comments on my like some of the things I'm tweeting, and I'm just like I literally I answered this repeatedly over the last few days, and people are like saying that it's wrong. And um, and my favorite example was when BlackRock filed. Eric and I were talking about the fact that BlackRock filed a spot Bitcoin ETF, and then all of a sudden trust. we had a bunch of crypto people saying this isn't this isn't an ETF, this is a trust. Um, so yeah, we we try like oh. Eric said, we're just trying to be right. And um, then there's when there's this there's all these like. I guess uh, the, the crypto community seems splintered into a couple factions. And there's definitely a faction that thinks BlackRock is just launching the ETF as an exit move. Um, and BlackRock is purposely putting news out to hype the price. And so people are trying to actually almost like play BlackRock as the Fed and what they're doing and how to trade around that. And sometimes there's just nothing there. I think BlackRock generally just wants to have a successful product. but. You, you get a lot of interesting stuff in the comments, uh, for sure. It's a, I got to say, like, it's probably one of the most entertaining areas of FinTwit by far. Um, a lot of characters, a lot of energy. Um, you know, we travel amongst ETF issuers and financial advisors, and they're just a little more conservative, generally speaking. I think crypto, um, you, you know, it just, I don't know, it's got like a little bit of a, I don't know, punk rock vibe. Uh, it's very excitable. I think so, you know, there's a lot of people uh, who are, um, you know, uh, I guess just really uh, optimistic. And, <laughs> uh, you know, there's a little bit of like us versus them. And I do find that one of the interesting things that we find is that there is this tension between, hey, this ETF might get approved. It's BlackRock. Wow. All this potential money could come in. Uh, my price will go up. But then there's this other side that's like, wait a second. We want to like let Larry Fink involved in our little punk rock scene over here. Isn't that exactly who we were fighting? Like inviting and, the evil empire into the yeah, uh, rebellion. It's, 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 yeah, it's interesting. That's that tension fascinates me. Yeah, that tension is definitely there. But now we got to obviously pivot and talk about what this grayscale decision actually means. You guys have been out in front of this for a very long time, right? So, James, you and I have talked about this particularly on the show. You thought it was very, very, very likely that grayscale was going to win. That obviously happened. You handicapped that to some degree. So now, as I said, we've gone from effectively 65 to 75%. I see people in the comments going, you clickbait title. No, these are literally the numbers. These are the predictions, right? And 95% <laughs> if it doesn't happen this year, that it will end up in 2024. So let's talk about what Grayscale meant. Uh, I want to also hear if the way that Grayscale won mattered because it was such an aggressive rejection of the SEC, I think, in this case, the language and the way arbitrary and capricious, obviously, um, and how we get to that 95% number now. Yeah, so, I mean, one 100% the language they use. I mean, Eric and I have talked to a bunch of people in this race, if you will, in this spot Bitcoin ETF race, and pretty much everyone had the same kind of thing. Like, we thought Grayscale was going to win, but we didn't think it would be like this. <laughs> so the, the language was very strong, complete, utter 
takedown of the SEC's arguments of the last few years. The last 10 years, you mentioned Winklevoss filed 10 years ago. There's been there's like a list of 30 different things like Dahlia Blast famously in 2018, I think, or 2017 issued this whole thing about all these things that need to be solved. The vast majority of them have been solved, but one of them is the fraud and manipulation stuff that they've denied the most recent set of applications on, which is what Grayscale went to lawsuit over, right? The whole lawsuit, the language, all it comes back to is the SEC can't say there's fraud and manipulation on the spot market, but not the futures market and allow Bitcoin futures ETFs, but not allow spot Bitcoin ETFs. Basically, they need to trade like situations alike. And like you said, we expected Grayscale to win. We, we were actually early. I was arguing with people on Twitter Everyone was telling me this is a frivolous lawsuit by the Grace by Grayscale and they're not going to win. And then the order arguments happened, and we immediately that day went to a seventy percent chance that Grayscale was going to win. So we've gone from Grayscale firing this no way they're going to win frivolous lawsuit to them utterly dominating the SEC in in court. Right? Like we saw the language in the oral arguments was pretty strong, but the judges were just asking questions, and I thought they could win three zero, and this was a unanimous three zero decision. So. The unanimous 3-0 decision from three judges, from three different presidents, from three different basically political ideologies. I mean, this was just well, an absolute back alley beating. Th this yeah. is an underrated point, in my opinion. I think the, the judge who, who wrote the the rejection or the you know the ruling was a Trump appointee. So you're like, okay, well, they're clearly against the Dems who against there is one, and they don't like maybe a lot of regulation. You could just but the other two are from Democratic presidents. So the fact Obama that, and Carter, by yeah, the way, Carter, seventies. I know, nineteen seventies. <laughs> I was um, born at the beginning of the Carter administration. I'm almost fifty. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, my first memories are of Ronald Reagan. I, I, I you Man. know, I don't barely remember Jimmy Carter, but uh, okay. So you've got two Democratic uh, judges that are like, yeah, okay, Rao, you can actually write this, and the fact that they all just sort of supported her. I think matters because, again, we go over the legal aspects of this all the time, and that's important. But there's also the political aspects. Does Gensler have the support of his party? Does the party want this? And the more you find Democrats moving, whether it's in the court or uh, in the Congress um, and, again, in the public relations arena, um, the more I think you know, there's less cover for him to set up and move the goalposts. Uh, and create some new reason they can't launch them. And so this is, to me, half legal, half you know PR politics. And so I think that's, that 3.0 is important because of that political aspect. And again, the, the language was, was really intense. And then the, the amount of coverage was wide and deep. Uh, you had every, every crypto, obviously. But people at Capitol Hill probably aren't devouring crypto trade publications. But they do read the New York <laughs> Times the Wall yeah, Street I think this Journal. Is on the cover of of parts of the <laughs> journal. I mean, this is really, really, really. Yeah, big. this is big. This is the kind of stuff where the the senator might, you know, forward the email and be like, "How this happened? What's going on here?" And then, you know, brains change, thoughts start to change, hearts change, and all of a sudden, Gensler doesn't have the cover that he did. And so, this to me is really fascinating, and that is why we upped it ten more percentage points. Again, we, we took a day to do it. We, we, we sort of talked to a couple people, a couple lawyers, issuers uh, amongst ourselves, and we thought that those two reasons were enough to go up uh, 10 percentage points. Let me ask you a question. So we got to 95% in 2024. I think the reasons are very, very clear. I do not think that's hyperbolic, but that leaves 5%. 
right? And so we've obviously seen people say the SEC can now go back and remove the futures products entirely, right? That there's a non-zero chance of that happening if they want to go, I think, napalm scorched earth, which I think is the less likely scenario, but possible. But what's that 5%? I mean, is the 5% that Biden gets reelected, Gensler gets reappointed, keeps his job and uh, status quo? I mean, how do we, you know, 5% is a pretty low yeah, or, chance. Or the opposite, where let's say the Republican wins. Let's say they just freeze everything because the election's coming up. And they, and they uh, let's say Gensler moves the goalposts again, and despite everything. He can punt says, through what, March? They can punt through March effectively uh, now? January. January is the first final deadline. But let's say they say they have a whole hang-up with custody, which is a new thing they could introduce. And they, right. they deny them all in January, March. And then the issuers try to solve the custody. And then it's July. And then it's like, well, hey, the election's coming up. And let's say the, the Republican wins. they got to appoint a new commissioner. That could take you into 2025. Uh, okay, although, so it's 100% uh, in 2025 or 2026. Uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much. I'm, <laughs> 99. Yeah. yeah, and you have to understand, James and I have lived through 11 years now of the SEC just being total sticks in the mud on this. And so that is just in our blood and, and brains in terms of uh, how we view this. And so you just can't ever doubt their stubbornness on this issue. So that's why we're leaving a little wiggle room for it not happening by the end of next year, too. Part of the other reason that we we also like my I was confident to go above 90 percent was it, it hasn't really gotten a lot of coverage. But this hash dex filing, um, the way that they're going to go about. So we, with the custody, like Eric brought up, they could they basically if they want to start denying these things, they like you said, they need to revoke futures or they need to deny them on things that do not affect the futures market, the futures, Bitcoin futures. Right. So because we have Bitcoin futures ETFs, they can't do something that affects both of them. Custody is one of them. Settlement is another. The actual settlement of the underlying Bitcoin. I don't know how detailed you've gotten to SAB 121, but basically banks can't hold cryptos and banks are the intermediaries that intermediaries that kind of settle on like this creation redemption process of ETF. So at some point you have to get the Bitcoin into the ETF and back and forth when you're when you're creating or redeeming shares. And this hashtag application basically sets it up so that it happens on a regulated exchange CME and you're just trading Bitcoin futures for an underlying spot, which is not the most efficient way to get spot exposure, right? Let's be completely clear. And the fact but that it does eliminate a lot of the fraud and manipulation Correct. arguments, right? Exactly. And and the settlement issues they could potentially have, theoretically, it could come back to custody, like Eric said, but it, that also alleviates a ton of issues. So even if the SEC wants to come back, deny ARC, deny Grayscale, do all these things, um, the, the, it's going to be hard to deny hashtags. Like I would love, the nerd in me would love to read an SEC disapproval letter for that hashtags application. And the other part of it is, we could have to decrease our odds slightly for in the 75% this year in the next couple of weeks, depending on what the SEC says about Grayscale. If they say Grayscale has to enter the 19B4 process again, and they have to go through this whole 240-day process, then all of a sudden, like our, the odds of it happening before the end of the year are going to have to decrease. But that's another reason why we're, we're so different on 2024 versus 2023. Yeah, I mean, time-based predictions are really complex. Everybody here who's ever uh, been in crypto or watched markets obviously knows that. We're already seeing, I just, literally, I just got sent this, we're already seeing articles, SEC can prepare alternative arguments to reject spot ETFs. This is from Berenberg in, in Germany. Right. So this is the other, it's kind of to your point, the other way they can approach this is just they come up with something completely different, like custody or settlement and just basically say, yeah, we were wrong to reject it that way, but we're right to reject it this way. I just think with BlackRock in the mix that they're yeah, playing fire. That's, if BlackRock was in the mix, 
and Fidelity. I, I think they're both, you know, kind of, I would call them like the adults in the room type asset managers. Every room. Yeah. yeah. Every they room. are the Yeah. And, and a lot of people who work there work in Congress. It's like there's a revolving door between, not Congress, but just in um, SEC and the Treasury. Uh, there's somewhat of a revolving door, especially with BlackRock. Um, you know, I just have to think like Larry Fink is probably behind sort of arguing his case. And that's a big deal. Uh, again, the BlackRock factor has always been a big variable here. Um, but to that to that article's point, um, it, it's possible. Yeah, I mean, I just think it would look desperate. And if they already lost a, a legal case in, in an embarrassing fashion, it just makes them look like, um, what's the word? Like like petulant almost. Like like we just hate crypto or we just tantruming, hate this. Tantruming yeah. children. That's what it yeah. makes them look like. Yeah. And, I, and I, look, I get it. They're trying to protect investors. But again, th the problem with the protect investors uh, thing with them is that They've already approved Bitcoin futures ETFs, which are arguably worse because they have to roll. So the Bitto is trailing yeah. Bitcoin by 8% this year. And they approved a 2x Bitcoin futures ETF. So we have a traffic light system. And in our traffic light system, BitX and Bitto are red light ETFs, um, right. whereas a Bitcoin spot ETF would be green light. So yeah, I mean, here's your tweet. Yeah. yeah, and to sorry, just to prove the the appetite for this, as you said, Bitto traded over 800 million worth of shares yesterday. You posted this yesterday, so that's for the 29th, the day that the Grayscale announcement Correct. came out. The most since its billion dollar first day, right? I mean, yeah. there was an appetite for this that first day, and now, obviously, even just this Grayscale news means there's a huge appetite, huge volume into Bitcoin. ETFs, right? So yeah. right now it will be the futures one because that's the only one that's available. And you made the best point. People might remember, but because there was so much interest in Bitto from day one, they couldn't even buy the immediate 30-day contracts. They had to yeah. keep going further out on the curve, making it riskier and tracking spot even less. So it's just an inferior product. It is. And if the SEC had spent the energy they did with these denials and converted their stubbornness into going after GBTC, which is a broken product, Maybe going after MicroStrategy and saying you can't make yourself a sort of um, surrogate Bitcoin ETF by holding all this Bitcoin, and saying that futures ETFs do not make—they, it's like they let all these inferior products out that are less that protect investors less when they're not letting the spot out, which to me is the a spot Bitcoin ETF. ETFs are very safe; they're good. You, it allows for arbitrage. They're listed in eight other countries. And they work fine. They work fine through FTX scandal. They protect investors. You just made the most important Makes point. No I'm not trying to interrupt, sense. but like the, the SEC's literal job is to consumer protection. And nothing would protect investors better than a BlackRock ETF overseen by BlackRock, custodied by This Coinbase. is why, you know, James I mean, and I sometimes use the fees. word hostage. It seems yeah. like they're using the ETF hostage to do things to crypto they want to do. But that's not really good regulation, in my opinion. That's not protecting investors. That's just you wanting to go deal with this industry and holding this hostage while you let all of these more dangerous products exist. Yeah. Uh, did you guys, by any chance, I, I, this is unrelated, but 
related in a degree. There's this uh, this uh, story that the court side with Uniswap over the class action suit. Did you guys see this yesterday? Yeah, Basically, I did. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the quotes from the judge are insane. Due to the protocol's decentralized nature, the identities of the scam token issuers, the, the claim here was that because Uniswap was allowing scam rug pulls, to be on Uniswap, that Uniswap was liable, basically, are basically unknown and unknowable, leaving plaintiffs with an identifiable injury, but no identifiable defendant. Now, this doesn't necessarily play to an ETF. I'm not going to make that claim, but it plays to the fact that the SEC and the court, more importantly, that the court is clearly defending the crypto industry here against a lot of nonsense, including the SEC. You just have to imagine that the SEC's appetite to fight these things I think that's almost a bigger story, actually, than Grayscale for crypto, not for the ETF. Um, but the court is basically undefeated in protecting crypto right now. Yeah, I mean, so I would say two things. One, when I when I saw that on Twitter yesterday, I immediately reached out to our litigation analyst, Elliot Stein, who's the guy that I talked about when we were trying to decide what to do with this Grayscale case. And he said he kind of poured cold water on a lot of these takes. He said it, the, the, they are true. Like, obviously, the court is defending it. Um, but he said, basically. The, the quote in there is, in the analysis that follows, the court accepts the plaintiff's assertion that the tokens are bona fide securities, but makes no actual findings on this basis. Basically, it kind of like, it just made sense for them to, to throw this out in many ways. So I, I wouldn't completely do it. And it's completely different arguments. That is the judge that's overseeing the Coinbase uh, lawsuit with the SEC. So, uh, but he said he's not reading much into it as a, as a litigation analyst, but it is obviously something where the courts are definitely uh, not allowing any of this complete like overreach by regulators and other plaintiffs. Um, so that's the real taking takeaway. But some of the other takeaways on crypto Twitter that I've seen were a little bit strong. And he was, he, yeah, he yeah. basically. Poured I mean, it just it that. does. Part of the suit was that Uniswap was offering unregistered securities, right? So the very fact that it's being uh, thrown out, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are seeing is just a little more fuel for the uh, Coinbase fire against the SEC. Agreed. Oh, yeah, sorry. I thought, Eric, you, I thought you, you had a comment there. A lot of people are having major takes, though, now. I mean, we have presidential candidates jumping on this, right? We got Vivek <laughs> yeah. saying Grayscale wins clear path for Bitcoin innovation in America. To be honest, oh, uh, I, listen, I love seeing this, but it seems hyperbolic. Go ahead, Eric. So we get a lot of back alley, back channel people talking to us who are like, hey, you can't say I said this, but here's what I heard, right? <laughs> we heard from one person, I, I can't say who, obviously, and I can't say if it's true, but it feels true, which is that one of the other reasons Larry Fink was interested in doing this is that he felt the U.S. was losing in on the global stage in terms of crypto. And he he's a very, you know, some of these CEOs are also uh, American leaders. You know, Jamie Dimon, yeah. Larry Fink, they care about this country, right? want to win. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, it would help a little revenue for BlackRock. I get it. But the, the theory was that this was up, this was annoying Larry Fink that the rest of the world was able to go ahead with stuff and we were left behind. And I'm not saying that's true, but it, it kind of it feels true to me gut wise. But again, um, I'm just throwing it out there. I Speaking of gut, if people remember when the BlackRock ETF filing happened, <laughs> it was right after the SEC went after both Binance and Coinbase back to back days on a Monday and a Tuesday. So if they were holding that ace in their pocket at some point, and Larry Finking was particularly feeling that way, he effectively erased the downside of all of that just by his simple announcement. So that carries a lot of water if you look at the timing. Yeah, I, I, I actually didn't notice that it, it came right after. Now they had- in a week or something. Yeah, yeah but they, 
they were probably preparing it before, but it is an interesting timing wise. Um, again, something just, I just, maybe it's just, um, coincidental, but it's interesting. The other side, the, the other the Binance thing that you bring up, that's that's one thing I am waiting to see. There's that sealed uh, sealed indictment or sealed um, filing from the SEC on that Binance case. There's a lot of chatter that there's going to be a, D, a DOJ case against Binance. So that kind of goes into our, our 5% in 2024 as well, depending on how bad that actually is. But as Eric has said before, and we've pointed out, it kind of seems like the SEC may be pushing the industry towards people like Coinbase and away from people or industry or uh, firms like Binance, like basically saying these are the the okay ones and kind of trying to pour that's a lot fine, of water on. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, that's that's way it makes sense why they would do that. I, I have nothing against Binance. I have no feeling about what they've done. I think probably most of it was in the past, but. We don't need new regulation. We don't need aggressive regulation to handle things if they are that are outright fraud or illegal. Like that, that's sort of my, the laughable thing about all of this. Like everything Sam Bankman Fred did had nothing to do with crypto. It was just illegal. It's fraud. It didn't require new regulation. It didn't require a regulator. The, they should have stopped that before it happened. But it does feel like they are going to choose winners. But I think that's fine if those winners are compliant and are fully functioning companies in the United States. That's why going after Coinbase just seems so stupid to me. The guys, I know you got to go, right? We, we're up against your time. Go ahead, James, though. Yeah, I'll close out and time. say my, my overall view here, right, is even if you believe Bitcoin is nothing but a bunch of toxic waste, as Eric kind of hinted at, like it makes no sense to allow these Bitcoin futures products, allow MicroStrategy and all these other ways to get access to Bitcoin and just not allow the safest, most secure way to get access to Bitcoin. Like even if it's going to go to zero, even if it's completely worthless, people are trying to get access to this to this asset class, trying to get access to this asset. And it just it, I can't fathom the decision to allow futures products and these other products and not just allow the, the, the holy grail and leverage futures products, not allow the holy grail to spot. <laughs> Um, it's not, you're not protecting investors, right? That's, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. I let you go. I have one more question. Name three ETFs that are undeniably stupider than a Bitcoin, uh, spot ETF. (laughs) What are the dumbest ETFs that are being traded? I mean, I mean, it, easily you go. I I have to go BitX first, first and foremost. Like the the two X leverage Bitcoin futures ETF. I I don't know if I'd say it's stupider, but it's certainly way more risky. I don't like, even mean crypto. A, I mean, I'm talking about like reverse, inverse leverage, marijuana ETFs that bet on crack rock in uh, you know. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, if if you look, there's there's a three X. There's like three levered junior gold miners ETFs out there. So junior gold miners are these highly volatile stocks dependent on the the value of uh, of gold, right? So if it goes above a certain amount, they're almost all like um, flexible costs. So like gold drives their prices. So when you have three X things that are levered to the price of gold and then you multiply those by two X or three X into an ETF, those things, I mean, it makes sense. It's a trader's dream, right? But it just makes, you're not protected. It's not a way of protecting investors. Like that's way more risky in our eyes. Yeah. Than and my point like is a lot of things here. have been approved that are a lot riskier, I would say, than a Bitcoin spot ETF. Did we ever get the inverse Kramer, by the way? Did that yeah, we did. That, that actually just closed. Well, no. The, I'm the just saying, there's one. an inverse, there's an inverse Jim Cramer ETF, which is literally gambling on a guy's gambling. <laughs> yeah. We can't get a Bitcoin spot ETF. Yeah, no. Um, we uh, two years ago, I went to exchange with a big big ETF conference, and I made a shirt for myself and Nature AC. It just had the phrase on it, and still no spot Bitcoin ETF because we would tweet about a new filing or or an actual launch, like three X energy producers. Which would have a volatility of like you know two three times 
Bitcoin. And we would, and then we'd say, and still no spot Bitcoin ETF. So it became like a phrase for us for a while. And it's true. Um, you know, that said, I have nothing against the trading tool stuff. I'm actually think that the rated R stuff is okay, as long as you know what you're doing. But it, the whataboutism is fair. I mean, well, how could you approve this and not that? But to me, the whataboutism is more, uh, I think it hits harder when you look at the Bitcoin futures approved, GBTC allowing to exist. That's literally a broken product that doesn't track the price. Um, and they, did, they, did, they did, didn't do anything about it. So, and that was able to sort of advertise itself a bit like an ETF. It had four tickers. It was on a lot of, people could get it pretty easily. Uh, but I think they found out the hard way that an ET, the difference between an ETF and something like this, which is it's essentially like a closed end fund. Um, so that to me is the better what, what about this, but certainly the leverage stuff you could be like, Re come on. Retail, your average retail person who bought GBTC had zero understanding of the mechanics underlying GBTC and probably didn't even know it was at a premium or a discount at any given yeah, time. Yeah, you can look at you could look at my replies when I was talking about how the fact that GBTC could go into a discount in like 2018, talking about like the same issues could happen. And I have never been, I have never been vilified as much on Twitter as I was when I was saying that FUD, this is going to 300% premium. Like people had no idea how this thing worked. They had no understanding whatsoever. Yeah. And now we have uh, Three Arrows Capital and BlockFi uh, <laughs> as examples of exactly why you were right. Guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure you're uh, going to keep going on the roadshow until this thing gets approved and I'm here for it. Thank you very much and welcome back. Thank you. All right, guys. Awesome. Yeah. 95%. I love it. The, the first thing that I say anytime we do a title is you're clickbaiting. I'm not watching. I'm out of here, man. And then like you, like 10 minutes later, the same person still commenting means they're still watching. Guys. Yes, you're wondering. It means that they are, in fact, still watching. I'm going to bring on Dan in a second. I just want to cook through like two minutes of uh, news before we do that. Obviously, a few things I wanted to highlight. We were just talking about Vivek Ramaswamy. He took this, obviously, not only to say, as you saw in that article, that uh, Grayscale Wind clears path for Bitcoin innovation in America. He went a little bit further and said that basically uh, it means he can rescind all figure federal regulations that fail the Supreme Court's tests in West Virginia versus EPA, which quite literally means most federal regulations. So apparently because Grayscale beat the SEC, Vivek Ramaswamy, if elected president, is going to get rid of all regulation. Some of these guys might just be using Bitcoin as a talking point in their presidential campaign. I'm just saying. I'm not naming names, but some of them might be. In the case you didn't see this, $120 million in shorts liquidated following the Grayscale ruling. We all saw that massive candle to the upside. Good news caused big short squeeze. Nothing new here. And I just want to mention this. We're going to talk about it, I think, pretty in-depth on, uh, on a Crypto Town Hall on Spaces right after this. But uh, Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong reveals his 10 favorite crypto innovations. This is actually really cool. It's all the 10 things that he said he would effectively focus on if he had time and was building other companies, you can see that he made a video and, and did it right here. Uh, and and Ryan Selkis from Masari kind of dug into each one of them. I'm just going to read you the 10 and you can dig into it yourself or listen to it on Spaces. Flatcoin, track CPI, on-chain reputation. Uh, I think we all understand that. On-chain advertising, on-chain capital, decentralized labor market, layer two privacy, true peer-to-peer, web three game economies, tokenize everything and network states, which goes back to uh, Bology. I, I recommend you guys dig in. I want to get Dan on here and start talking about some charts, but I do rec uh, recommend you guys check out that video and that thread. It's really compelling from one of the greatest minds, obviously, in crypto. And now, without further ado, the chart guys. Dan, how are you today, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. How are you? 
I don't know if time just flies, but I feel like I talk to you every day at this point. It's definitely, it's, it's often. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it uh, really, I, I think that uh, I'm just getting old and time uh, to, has a different meaning than it used to, but we've had a lot happen since last we talked. Right. So we obviously uh, a lot and a little, I guess, you know, nothing major really changes even with all of this. And I want to talk about this Bitcoin move because two days ago, obviously, we saw the grayscale news break right at the exact same moment, by the way, when that sort of job weakness showed and we saw a move in other markets. This was obviously outstandingly larger. But at that exact same moment, there was sort of a lot of move, uh, a lot of good news coming in. We saw this massive pump and then absolutely no follow through. None. Yeah, right? it's so it's a bit concerning. It's a bit concerning, just in the sense that you know, whenever we see a pump like this, what I want to see is uh, the first time during consolidation that we hit short-term oversold conditions. I want to see that mark a longer-term higher low. So in this instance, we want to see first five-minute oversold conditions mark an hourly higher low. That tells me there's money on the sideline that is trying to you know get in and saying, okay, well, I missed the initial move, but the first you know, period of consolidation, that's when I'm going to get in. And we saw the, a weak bounce attempt, and then we rolled over to the lower lows. And as soon as that happens, we say, okay, this is not the ideal scenario for bulls. It's almost like a little bit of a, an initial heads up is not ideal. And now we've given back half of that pump, 50% retracement. And so it's just, you know, as you mentioned, it's, you know, it's news, but it's not now news. All it is is changing the probabilities of something that could happen in the future. And so the market has to price in those that change in probability. And your two previous guests, that's pretty much what you're talking about, the change in probability. And so the price reflects that, but the market wants the, the here and now news, something significant has changed. And that won't happen without the headline of the ETF has been approved. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just drawing it so, sort of as you're talking. I had drawn this blue line. I said, if you're a bull at this point, you effectively don't even want to touch this, I think, until you at least get this uh, support test because of exactly what you just said. It looks weak. But I had not drawn the fibs, and that was literally exactly a 50% retracement. So yep. we do talk about this a lot, guys. When you see a large move in either direction, you do somewhat expect an impulse. At least I do. This is what I learned at that 50% level. You see either a quick retrace... But the problem is we haven't seen the major bounce from there, right? Usually we see the continuation after that, right? Like if it drops massively, you get this huge bounce because of sitting buy orders, all those bids that are getting cleared out, bounce up 50% and then dump. Here, it's just kind of gone sideways after that. It's a little concerning to me. Yeah. And this morning, you can see that big upper wick there. We had a quick spike and then the bears jumped right on it and knocked it back down to the low of consolidation. Uh, so there's definitely a battle going on right now. But uh, the bulls have a lot of proving to do. And, you know, we got the weakness in the dollar. As you mentioned, the jolts being aligned with that, the dollar dumped on the jolts. And so that was a little bit of a double whammy with the headline for Bitcoin. Uh, but again, the, the follow through is lacking. And if you go to the weekly time frame, we have to be cautious of a head and shoulders. There is a weekly head and shoulders that is potentially shaping up. And uh, that's that's something that in September we're going to be watching as for, you know, the whether or not that shapes up. Yeah, I mean, do you, I would love to see your charts on the dollar at this point because I think you and I have been kind of talking about it and it was right there and seems to be maybe, maybe putting in that lower high that we were talking about, right? Yeah, the, the weekly time frame for the dollar has just started consolidating. But what we have to see now, you know, the, you look at the daily time frame and we had this initial pullback on that jolts and all right, well, now we're bouncing. 
And we must see a daily downtrend confirm if this weekly consolidation is going to follow through. Technically, we broke the pattern where we had a higher low every single week for six weeks. We did break the low of last week, but at the moment, it's a break with no follow through. So we got to see that daily downtrend confirm. And honestly, you know, one thing that that I when I approach the markets and I look at crypto and I look at the, the stock market and commodities, I look around and say, you know, where's the most opportunity? And the metals are going to try and steal the show here in terms of taking, you know, the narrative. Just we'll talk about gold real quick here. Uh, gold is the potential of a monthly cup and handle. Gold has a triple top at the all time high. And if we continue to hold, you know, this EMA 12 and this healthy retracement, this is a possible cup and handle. And so, you know, one thing I, I think of is, well, if gold gets this all time high break, it's going to get the headlines, it's going to get the attention and the the FOMO. And so I'm wondering, would that take away? I know for me, I would focus more on gold than Bitcoin if this were to yeah. shape up. So is that going to happen to other people in the markets? Uh, that's something to be keeping an eye on as well. But uh, overall for Bitcoin, what we have to see is just a, a good old fashioned daily uptrend and just <laughs> you know the, conf the confidence of, of higher lows and higher highs. And you know we had the sideways and now we got a spike you know, give me give me the higher lows and higher highs uptrend to give us some confidence because without that, we're just looking for that weekly lower high that might be a right shoulder. The, the burden's still on bulls at this point. You know, it's funny. You just brought that up on the daily chart, but for some reason, my brain defaulted to that being the weekly chart and the big red down being FTX and the big green up being uh, the January. It really mimics uh, the the move that we saw over those couple months at the end of last year. At least, you, you yeah, could, right it, back it, here. I don't know. I just didn't even realize you were looking at a daily. I was like, oh, cool. We're looking at the monthly chart, really uh, consolidating it. Well, not at all. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, we had big follow through there. We had three big candles on the weekly. What you're referring to here, we just got the one big green. So definitely a lot more needed. Uh, it's it's really, I just think about, you know, whether I'm in bullish or bearish mindset, I just always put myself in the opposing mindset. So if I'm looking as a bull, I want to know, let's just pretend I have a bearish position. Am I worried right now? And the answer is no. You know, a lot of bears are going to have their stops over the high of that reaction. And if we don't get over that high, there's nothing to worry about longer term as a bear. If we get over that high, then we can, you know, start to shift things a bit. But that's now the line in the sand. Yeah, and I mean, I, I know you obviously look at the MAs as well. Uh, I, it was kind of curious that we had that break of the daily 200 there, that red line, and immediately lost it, and now have tested it as resistance. And the 200 MA still, I mean, on the weekly, still major resistance after losing it. So, like, we're not even, I'm just uninspired by this move. I think that's the only thing I can say here. It was a huge, fast move. It was fun. But I don't think it broke even through any key levels or resistance as of now. I mean, I don't know if you're, you're thinking of lines, but you want to see, like, I, I needed to see this above like 28.5, 28.6 to start really thinking that, hey, 31's back in play, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't think we've even left this like range that we just dropped into. And this move didn't even retrace the entirety of the drop that we just saw like a week ago in one hour. Yeah. And, and, you know, Friday, we got a lot of people looking towards maybe we get an, an announcement. Uh, the most likely scenario would be a delay, in my opinion. But if we get a delay or a denial, um, you know, we're going to drop. I think we'll drop at least a little bit because, again, I think some of that big green candle was, hey, Friday, we might get the, the approval. This might be the start for that. And so if we get a delay, I think there'll be a slight amount of disappointment to potentially lead to a bit more consolidation and retracement from that big green candle. 
Yeah, going back to gold, I remember there was a story not that long ago, and a few people said it, but Mike Novogratz basically said, listen, if we break the all-time high, high gold goes straight to 3000 Yeah, I mean, it's, it's honestly, I look around at everything in the markets, and I say, where is the most opportunity for the potential of a hype market? And anything that's the closest to all-time highs, you got to keep on the top of your list, because we know from crypto, the power- nice discovery. Yeah, the power of all-time highs, it's when things, you know, gold can be really boring for a decade, but if you get that price discovery, uh, it happens very quickly. And then you got your, you know, your miners and your leveraged miner ETFs, and and that's that's where there's significant opportunity. So again, just keep it on your radar for the next couple of months, because if that shapes up, uh, the metals will steal the headlines for a while. And I want to point out something you said. You talked about the cup and handle, which is actually, this is the monthly, guys. So that was the, that's the tiny cup and handle over here. Yeah. Right? And then, yeah, um, yeah. But guys, if you want to see how fast gold can go up, by the way, then look at this, right? Look at the, the uptrend that gold was in from basically 2000 to 2011. I mean, absolutely parabolic. But then if you zoom out on the monthly too, you have a much bigger cup and handle here, right? I mean, that is a perfect cup and handle right into effectively the previous all-time high. Yeah, it went slightly above. I think it was 1920 and this one went over 2000. But that gold chart, I mean, if you're patient and you understand it is one of those assets that's been been around for a long time. And, you know, you know a, lot of, a lot of crypto people will look at that and go, you know, so what? A huge move on gold is 20%. And, you know, they're obviously used to a lot more volatility. But again, it's, it's those other instruments, whether it's, you know, playing it through futures or playing it through leveraged ETFs, uh, where it can be significantly worthwhile. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. So for you, is this one of those you buy it when it breaks the all time high, like you buy it into price discovery or is there a different entry you're looking for? I'm talking about more long term. I know you you trade in and out on a day. Yeah, I've, I've got my, you know, longer term, no touch metals positions uh, that I'll hold for decades just to have some diversification. I do have some initial swing positions, some some small nibbles to make sure I'm staying on top of it and watching it. Uh, and what I would like to see to add to that is give me a, a bit more upside on gold, and then I'll look to enter the next weekly consolidation, uh, and then I'll use the low as my stop. And my thesis will be, you know, that's either the low before this cup and handle breaks out, or I'm wrong, and I'll stop out of those positions. And silver has been a good bit stronger than gold. Over, yeah. The last couple of weeks, generally, what happens in in the metals market is. Silver will lead in both directions, just like altcoins will often lead in both directions in terms of the percentage moves that we see. And so if silver is leading, that shows us, you know, that traders and investors have more confidence. They want the, the higher volatility. And so I will often watch the gold compared to silver chart, or let's just do silver compared to gold. So silver compared to gold. And you can see it's on its monthly time frame. Uh, we're just tightening up over the last year. And so if this were to break bullish, that would show us uh, silver gaining a good bit relative to gold, and that would be bullish. And just go back and look at this chart and look at, well, anytime silver led gold significantly, what was happening in the metals? And you'll find that those were the metal breakouts and the metal bull markets taking place. So a bull break right, is Silver is just a shit coin. Silver is just right, a gold yeah. shit coin. There you That's go. all it is. I'm sorry. I didn't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> and I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like a leveraged uh, position on gold to some degree. Yeah. So, I mean, silver won't be in blue sky breakout. One, you know, if gold gets there, uh, silver is still a ways away. But in terms of the percentage, you know, moves in the volatility, leveraged uh, silver ETFs should see some significant upside as well. Hey, you guys might remember the end of 2018, Bitcoin topped at like 
$20,000 and then dropped massively. And Ethereum went on the most epic run for the next month and a half after that to make its own all-time high. Maybe gold could end up being the, uh, once you see gold top, maybe you see silver run to the highs. It wouldn't be a surprise to do the exact same thing. There are definitely some similarities to be drawn between the relationship of, you know, these these sectors and the the different parts of the individuals in the sectors. Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything else that you're watching right now? By the way, do you watch any other metals? I don't, but uh, I know that there's people who are pretty deep in the uh, in the in the different metals who watch, you know, palladium and platinum and and then yeah. obviously, you know, more the ones that have more utility, the, the coppers and, and such. Yeah, every week I check in on copper. You know, copper's got a tightening monthly range here. Um, I'll check in on platinum. It's pretty much gold, silver, platinum, copper. I've never traded them, those two, yeah. uh, but I, you know, it's just something I keep an eye on. Uh, other things in the market that I'm watching, and this, you know, we could dedicate the, maybe next week the whole show to it, but cannabis is is the most beat up sector in the market. I mean, eat your heart out, altcoin bears. Like this is the the bear chart. It's the weakest thing in markets, but we got a headline yesterday of Health and Human Services, you know, recommends to the DEA to, to reschedule cannabis to Schedule 3. And, you know, essentially the, the path for cannabis has been hype and euphoria, bull market leading up into Biden election. You know, we've got the Democrats, the House, the Senate, and then just, oh, my God, nothing's changing. It's all the same. The system's intact. And, and so that's just been we're in a depression right. phase. But you look at the volume spike here. This is MSOS, the ETF. But massive volume potentially coming to life a little bit. It's still a long road ahead. We know how long it takes in politics for things to shift. But I know I'm going to make a significant amount of money again in this sector. And we just are waiting very patiently for the, the fundamental federal catalyst. That's inevitable. I mean, we, we are only going one direction in terms of sentiment. And so uh, I am just not falling asleep on this sector. Yeah, it's a, that looks so bottomy. Right. I mean, that is just the the definition of depression. And listen, that these altcoins can go to zero, but marijuana is not. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, these you companies, have an altcoin chart like that, that you're like, oh, this could go down 99 more percent than literally touch zero. So, yeah, some of these companies can definitely go bankrupt and go under, but they, they have some assets. I mean, they're actual tangible things. And one of the major things with the relisting or the rescheduling, what that would do is, you know, right now there's major tax disadvantages uh, because of how things are set. And one of the major companies, Green Thumb, they put out a comparison, you know, if it's called 280E, if you want to Google 280E for any of your viewers, but uh, if that were to get repealed or changed, it's, you know, $100 million difference in their bottom line, which is obviously very significant. So again, just the potential and uplisting, all these companies are on the OTC, they're on the penny stock junk exchanges, there's no liquidity, you know, a lot of people are restricted from even buying them. So it, when they uplist, just knowing that, you know, there's, there's a hype run coming, whether it's in a year or whenever, I think, you know, Biden, the administration might hold out the headline closer to the election to try and ride some of that momentum. Uh, yeah, you got it up right there. There you go. So it's worth paying attention to, you know, maybe maybe we're still early at this point, but I, I'm very confident that I'm going to make some significant gains in this sector for, you know, a, a fourth. I've been through so many hype sectors in cannabis in my 13 years of trading that I know another one's coming, just hit patiently waiting. Like the, uh, you, we just know another crypto cycle is yet to come. It's just hard to <laughs> time the bottom. Uh, awesome, man. Hey, uh, anything else we might've missed? I mean, I would love to actually, if you have, if we can dig deeper into that next week, that would be really awesome. Let's do it. Sounds great. That'd be really interesting. 
I, I owned, I mean, I made, I lost quite a bit of money on uh, not paying attention to marijuana stocks that were just sort of like in an IRA or something. I, I, I was down. I won't say I lost. <laughs> you're an investor. You're, you're. There was a time when I, I was really passionate about Cron. Do you remember that one, CRON? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, there's a, there's so many lessons to be learned from how this has played out over the last few years. Uh, sure. It's, yeah, it's definitely worth paying attention to. I got it. Now I literally am just like, as we're talking, yeah, I mean, that cron chart looks exactly uh, like what you just showed me, basically. Uh, pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Yep, okay. Lot well, you know, yeah, a <laughs> lot, 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 lot of downsides. A lot of downsides. A lot of bag uh, holders, a lot of overhead supply to get through for sure. Good news. I think I started buying back then in 2017. So it's, it's not 17, 18. So it's not as miserable as it looks. All right, David, thank you so much for, for your time. Guys, everybody, uh, Obviously, follow him on Twitter, but also, once again, I tell you every week, but check his YouTube channel. He goes much more in-depth. We're sort of scratching the surface here on these basic ideas, but his his shows are, are incredible, tons of insight, and uh, frankly, a, a lot more than you're going to get from me. So that's why he's here, because we like to have uh, guests who are better than the host. So thank you, Dan, <laughs> very much. Thanks a lot, Scott. All right, guys. Uh, quite a day. We had three awesome guests. Uh, really great insight there. I'm also uh, quietly watching gold uh, as well. You know, I, I own some, and I think that that could be an incredible trade. And I, I do think at this point, going back to the ETF, we're, we're definitely at the when, not if phase. I think that uh, while 95% sounds like a huge number, it's just inevitable, right? At some point, Bitcoin spot ETF will be approved. It it's always been inevitable. Uh, it's just attaching a time to it is very, very, very difficult. Uh, otherwise, guys, we're going to dive more into the news about Uniswap, uh, the class action suit that was thrown out there, as well as uh, talking about the Brian Armstrong, 10 things he would build uh, if he was starting again in crypto right now. Really interesting stuff. We're going to do that on Twitter spaces. And hopefully we don't get any massive breaking news that uh, rocks the market and changes everything in the middle of spaces like it tends to. Also, I saw some comments and I see people constantly asking me about what's going on with BitBoy. Uh, I want to tell you guys, I don't do soap operas and drama. I'm officially opting out for now of uh, watching that soap opera or reporting on it. Uh, that's it. Not going to happen. Anyways, guys, I... We'll see you back tomorrow. Oh, Friday. Tomorrow, because last week uh, Nathaniel wasn't there. Nathaniel Winnemore and I starting our new Friday show here, which I think will go to both of our podcast channels. He's obviously the breakdown. Uh, I will listen to his podcast every single day. It's great. It's like 10 minutes. Tells you the most important thing of the day. You put it on 2x, five minutes, you're out of here. Um, and we're going to be doing every single Friday, basically, a review of the top five most impactful stories of the week to get you guys uh, set the right tone for the weekend. So really looking forward to, to doing that. We get it going. That's all I got for you guys. I will see you tomorrow or on Twitter spaces or on Twitter, uh, but hopefully not in person, like out in front of my house or anything. Bye. That's dope.